You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 534 for October 21st, 2020. On today's show, trombonist and vocalist Natalie Cressman. This show exists because listeners become members. Please become one today for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. At the $5 level, in addition to early access to the shows, you'll also get a bonus track of the week each week in which either an artist or I tell you about either a new track or an old one that I like. And I think you can do all the math there. And then at $10 a month, you get that plus an extra bonus episode each month, which is uh, really kind of a variety episode. You never know what's going to be in it, but it's always something fun. So again, you can become a member today at thejazzsession.com slash join. Natalie Cressman and Ian Facchini have released an album and a single together. Here's the single, which came out earlier this year. It's called Already There. This feeling of calm that we'd never arrange Just waiting at home as we're scanning the skies For any signs of change Natalie Cressman, welcome back to The Jazz Session. Thanks for having me back. It's been a minute. It has been quite a while, and I think a lot has changed in both of our lives since then. Um... One of the things that uh, has changed for you is that you're uh, you're uh, you know still uh, up until COVID doing a lot of the the touring that you were always doing, but um, also have focused a lot on uh, duo recordings with Ian Facchini, um, and they are just really really wonderful. And I I just wanted to ask you about that, maybe just even starting about how the two of you began collaborating. Yeah, so I went to California Brazil camp where Ian's a guitar teacher about maybe four years ago now. Uh, My mom does a lot of work there translating for artists that come from Brazil. And so in return, she was allowed to take her family of four to the camp. You know, she had been talking about it for years. My dad and my sister had been there as adults enjoying all the classes. And it was like the first year that I went. And I met Ian, I'd heard about him, and actually I had met him once or twice kind of through my mom and the Bay Area music scene, but we really clicked then at the morning classes that we were doing were led by the great composer Ginga, of which like Ian's kind of his protege and writes very much within that style. And so we kind of discovered how cool the instrumentation of trombone and nylon string guitar was and we ended up sending some music back and forth he found out that I was a lyricist and he hadn't had anyone collaborate with him on lyrics in English before so we just kind of started collaborating here and there and 
then decided that, you know, this would be a cool project to really kind of pursue in earnest and slowly building repertoire and playing gigs here and there has led up to this point where now we're basically almost done recording album number two. And if it were not for COVID, we would have spent most of this year touring around uh, exclusively as a duo. I know this isn't the most important part of everything you just said, but that camp sounds pretty amazing. Is it? Is it to study Brazilian music for people of varying ages? Is that the idea? Yes, I, it's. I mean, I can't say enough about this camp. Um, it takes place the last two weeks in August um, in Casadero, California, which is kind of outside Santa Rosa, and the Redwoods. There's a, a little spot of Wi-Fi, but pretty much off the grid. And they fly in people from all over Brazil. It would take you like a month of traveling around the country of Brazil to get to work with all of these amazing maestros. And they all come together in the Redwoods for a week. And you, yeah, all ages, all styles of Brazilian music, not just samba and bossa nova, which are more common here in the States, and, and dance as well. So it's a pretty, it's really enriched, enriched my life and like taught me so much and um, kind of like addicting. Now I, I can't imagine a, a summer without it. That sounds like one of those things that it's both improbable and wonderful that it exists. Like, why does it exist? Yeah. But it's amazing that it exists. <laughs> and the funny thing is that Ian and I have actually, we actually met there when we were eight and nine years old. Oh my, my gosh. mom went to like the first or second year of the camp, and it was the first year that Ian had moved to the United States from Brazil, and they actually had like kind of a kids' camp portion, and we found later on, uh, we found photos of us playing together as kids, so it was like this weird connecting the dots like 20, 20 years later that we had actually met before at that very spot. So That's it's very important to both of us <laughs> in our Segunda-feira, meu coração tá numa patedeira. Vou pra Bahia agora de manhã. Se me perdoa ser de tal maneira, mas esperei pela semana inteira. Você voltar pro nosso barracão. Baixou o pop, foi um salve-se quem queira No final da feira Cheba pra comer You mentioned the the match of the trombone with the nylon string guitar, and one of the things about listening, uh, I have heard the uh, studio-recorded music that you've put out, but I had also watched a lot of uh, stuff you've done on Instagram, you know, over the last couple of years. And uh, one of the things that it, at least to, to my non-trombonist ear, it feels like it requires an incredible amount of subtlety on your part to do what you do in the setting with Ian. And feel free to, to correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what at least what it sounds like to me when I listen, that it's just, it's a kind of trombone playing that, um, at least for me, isn't the first thing I think about when I think about trombone playing. It's just, you know, kind of, soft and beautiful and lilting and dancing around and 
Uh, it's, it's really lovely, but it was surprising to me the first time I heard you guys play together. That's totally right. I, I think I've always enjoyed playing that way, but I haven't yet had a forum to really explore that subtlety. And it, it is just very different than when you think of like trombone, you think like brash soloing, like very excited and um, aggressive. And the record that we put out in this one that's coming is kind of the opposite of that. It's very exposed. And, and I think there, yeah, it totally requires a shift um, for myself physically on the instrument and probably, you know, emotionally and spiritually as well to be able to emote. Um, but, but I enjoy it so much. I do a lot of playing in, um, loud kind of party atmospheres with, you know, big crowds and certain subtlety is kind of lost on an audience of that size and just the way that the sound is set up. So it's really fun to be able to, uh, strip things down and just kind of be a little bit more organic and and nuanced. Exposed is a great word that you used because I mean there are places in certainly in the studio recordings where like you can hear you breathe. I mean it's that exposed. Mm-hmm. Like everything is in there. Yeah. And the way we did that album um was also just that to a T because we had only really done a handful of live gigs together and we thought that we should just do it as naturally as possible which meant sitting down together in the same room and tracking and kind of through that process we realized that we kind of made our jobs a lot harder because if (laughs) we had a great guitar take or a great trombone take but one of us didn't like a certain vocal we'd basically have to track it again there was very little fixing or splicing that went on it was pretty live and while that was super exciting and you know my dad who engineered us and mixed us really rose to the challenge of having to combat like trombone bleeding into like a guitar mic you know like the sensitivity of the guitar right like maintaining that while there's like a trombone a few feet away <laughs> so this next time around we've decided to really embrace the overdub and you know have gone about <laughs> recording a very different way um just to give well to take advantage of of the possibilities with technology yeah, there's a lot to be said for the live in studio recording process, and there's also a lot to be said for not doing it that way. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we also had this plan that we'd have all of it, you know, with video. So that's part of why we were really sticking to full takes. And then meanwhile, like my hard drive failed, and oh, no. um, there was just all sorts of things. Like we didn't end up having all the video, and then we didn't look all that interesting either because we were like so focused on creating a good sound recording that we weren't really taking it like a live video shoot. So like we didn't look all that hot either. So we ended up just kind of nixing that and we're still happy with how it turned out. But um, this, this next record is definitely like, because of COVID, we've had so much time to reflect and really build things slowly from the ground up. So it's going to definitely have a certain polish that we weren't able to achieve the last time. But I think the, also like the realness of it being us in the same room, like hearing our breathing, hearing us blending vocally at the same time is something that's kind of lost these days in general with how people are making records and also how people are performing. So I think like we've kind of found our place of being this alternative to, you know, the the big pop shows playing along to tracks where you're hearing the same thing at every show or like giving a really dynamic you know anything could happen type approach to our live shows and also in our first recording was like that as well Dans le noir de minuit, 
je prie dans un coin il quick break from the interview to remind you about membership in this program. I'm only able to do this show because folks decide that they value it enough to become members. You can do that for five or ten bucks a month. You get early access, you get bonus episodes, uh, you get shout outs on the show, all kinds of cool things. And I am about to pack all of my worldly belongings into a van and head out across the United States, even though this in some ways seems like a ridiculous time to be heading out across the United States. But anyway, that's how it's working out. So uh, I hope that as I do that, you will become even more interested in the places I might end up. And those are greatly determined by your memberships. So join today at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks. Now back to the show. We haven't actually said the name yet of Setting Rays of Summer is the name of the first recording. And then uh, that came out uh, last year. And then a single came out earlier this year called Already There, all of which um, are well worth listening to. And I'm curious, in my memory, you already were pretty comfortable singing in Portuguese before this collaboration. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, I did here and there. Um, I did. Part of, half of my senior recital was me singing in Portuguese, but I didn't really speak the language and I had never been to Brazil and it was, you know, kind of absorbing um, from my environment here in the Bay Area, other Brazilians that my mom has worked with and, and her band. But since meeting Ian and starting to work together, I feel like I've embraced kind of that as a really important part of my musical identity and trying to, to really do a little bit more research, like going to Brazil expanding my vocabulary of different rhythmic styles and um, just so that, you know, if I am going to put out this record where I'm singing primarily Brazilian music to really have a deeper study of, of where it all comes from. So that's what I've been keeping myself busy with uh, the last few years. So are you, are you conversational now in Portuguese or where, where are you at and not yeah. musically speaking, but just, you know, in the daily world? Yeah, no, I mean, I just gave my first uh, workshop to a bunch of uh, Brazilian trombonists completely in Portuguese on Friday. So wow. that was like a big, big milestone for me because I you know, mostly only speak to, you know, other musicians very casually, conversationally. But that was the first time that I'd really attempted to do it in a more formal place. I mean, I did when we played, Ian and I played a gig in Sao Paulo last summer in 2019. And I did okay, like announcing the show, but I mostly kind of was trying to get Ian to do most of the talking. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's pretty great if a fluent speaker of Portuguese just sits beside you and lets you announce the show <laughs> in your not-native Right, language. no, I was like, and and he's, you know, bi completely bilingual, and yet 
I'm mostly the person that does a lot of the talking in our live shows. He's just a little bit more shy. So it was great to be like, okay, now's your turn to really like <laughs> carry this through. You're emceeing. <laughs> I did end up talking quite a bit too. Um, and I think it's, you know, I got, you know, a lot of positive feedback from people who just appreciated me speaking the language well and not just trying to like sing it phonetically. Uh, and I do try and do a lot of research uh, on the lyrics. Like there's definitely the lyricists that Ian works with are so um, amazing. I mean, the the sound of the words they choose as well as the meaning is so sophisticated and beautiful. And it's at, to the point where sometimes Ian can't really completely translate what it means. He might not even know or he can get the sensation of it, but it's so idiomatic that he can't translate it to me. Right. And so I actually have to track down the lyricists and kind of ask them to to try and fill in the blanks so that I can really understand what I'm singing about. Have you noticed that having conversational Portuguese has changed how you approach singing the lyrics? Yeah, I mean, it helps to understand the sounds better. Because before, I mean, I used to sing a bunch of Tom Jobim classics, but I would just kind of learn it phonetically. And so sometimes I wouldn't even really know where one word starts and the other ends. And it's such a melodious language that you can kind of get by that way. There's many different sounds, but... Once you start studying the language, it just kind of gives a certain finesse. And then the other benefit of being in a duo with Ian is that a lot of the stuff we're singing together in harmony. So I feel like my accent has improved just by really blending with him. And I, I, you know, when we sing all those really quick samba passages together, I'm really kind of even watching his face and seeing exactly how he's making the sounds happen. And so I feel like I've learned a lot from just singing with someone who's, you know, native Portuguese speaker. So let's uh, let's turn our attention to the the writing of the music that you and Ian do together. Will you talk about how you collaborate musically to create composition? Yeah, so primarily Ian's the compositional voice of the group. He wrote all the music for Setting Rays of Summer. And then there's three songs on the album where I wrote the lyrics and all the kind of vocal arranging is really my contribution. And this new record you heard already there is there's a lot of layered trombones. And so I've really been able to kind of actually put a little bit more of my own compositional voice in to the mix. And every song on our album, we've got about 12 tracks uh, that will probably end up on it, have like a big trump, we're calling it like a trombone choir of like four to five to six uh, trombones playing at once. And um, so that's been fun because, uh, you know, I, I am happy to take kind of the arranger's role. It's a way of kind of composing, but being 
you know, having to be attuned to what already, what the song already is. And, um, it's, it's a, it's a fun way to collaborate. I think writing songs together can be really challenging. And this is a way that we're both really involved in the process, but, um, kind of delegated to our various stages. What's been any particular either challenges or joys or opportunities of improvising in this context? Yeah, it's it's actually kind of tricky in some ways because a lot of how I get ideas and energy and, you know, how I improvise in other settings is very much driven by the rhythm section reacting to me. I mean, not that Ian is completely static, but there's less interplay than than in some cases where you've got, you know, piano, bass, and drums behind you and sure. playing, you know, in a jazz or funk setting. So it's, it is kind of more, uh, broken down in a way, which again, I've kind of looked at it more on the positive of just like certain ways of playing certain lines that would be kind of lost, um, in a louder, you know, more raucous setting can have their moment. And so while there's less maybe of the long climactic solo moments in our, in our playing together, um, on record, it, there is also the the flip side of that is there's some nice moments of of really quiet subtlety and certain more flexible ways of playing the instrument that you can't really do at a loud volume um, the same way. So that's been fun. Uh, live, we, we do kind of take more liberties and I'll solo a few more times around, but I like kind of keeping the solos concise. It reminds me of kind of the old samba records where there's a lot of kind of you know, solo trombone that kind of sets up with an intro and like a little bit of riffing and improvising here and there, but it's more centered around the songs than the song being a vehicle for improv. So I think that's one way that it's kind of different than a jazz defined project because it's still really song forms and song oriented with a little bit of improvisation. And you mentioned a more expansive rhythmic language than, you know, folks who have just heard kind of the the most popular Brazilian music that has made its way over here might contain. Can you say something uh, about that, too? Yeah. So on, on our first record, there's um, Bayon, there's Samba, there's Ijecha, there's probably even more than that. We do some Frevo in, in our live sets. And, um, and a lot of times some of those rhythms are, are less well known here in the States. We kind of think of Brazilian music as pretty much the samba rhythm and the bossa nova rhythm, which is very much tied to that. We also play some shou. And the upcoming record, I think, has a lot of, yeah, the Ije Sha, Tawada, other kind of less well represented rhythms here in the States. Um, and it's interesting though, because it's all kind of wrapped up in Ian's guitar part. So it's like this, it's interesting, like, he kind of keeps all the essential information there in what he's playing, but it is a much understated version of, like, the, you know, if you went to, like, an Afro-Brazilian band or a candomblé ceremony and you were hearing the Ije rhythm, it would be represented very differently than, like, Ian's guitar part, but they're very much linked and connected and it makes it so that if a percussionist wants to come sit in with us, like they can totally latch on, but it's it's like we don't really need it because it's kind of all there. Well, 
one more break from the interview to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible, starting with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Dave Rabel for the logo. The voice of the intro is Chuck Ingersoll. You can hire him to do voice work for you, but hear chucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at The Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really improves my ability to reach new listeners. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, poetry, and more, subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now, back to the episode. Da família de bandu, morta e a foi. Pra cumbieira se esconder e ampuaço. Geme de medo de ficar. Se o chororó nem penas tem mais pra chorar. E o sabia sempre primeiro na canção. So where are you two in the process of recording this uh, second album? So we've got 12 uh, songs tracked. We have like one last uh, recording session on Monday, actually, to just do some last, like I think I have to overdub one solo and do a couple fixes vocally for the both of us. And then we're done. We're going to start mixing it. And then it's kind of probably going to be a long waiting game because we probably want to wait to release it until we're going to be out playing again. So who knows sure. what that'll be. But it's kind of nice to have the luxury of time. Every other... We were preparing to make this record, you know, in the early part of 2020, slowly, but it would have taken us so much longer to get in the studio because we were about to have like the busiest year of our lives traveling with our with other projects and our own. And we never would have been able to finish all of this in six months if it weren't for COVID. But now it's just like, well, what do we do with it? <laughs> do right. we put it out or do we wait <laughs> till things go back to normal? You mentioned uh, doing a workshop with other trombonists. Have you been doing other virtual things during this time when in-person performance hasn't been possible? Yeah, we've done a slew of different things. I mean, we have done a lot of live streams on our own platforms but we've also done kind of happy hour zooms for groups of music lovers and and various classes and workshops ian and i are both teaching at the california jazz conservatories community program so we have oh cool a few classes a week there that we're teaching and private lessons and such so we're getting very comfortable on zoom and, and performing on zoom is nice too because there is that kind of audience participation element you can at least see people's faces and interact a little bit more than other live streams so that's been kind of nice and you know happy happy to have a way to just keep um our repertoire fresh and evolving while there's you know a shortage of places to perform how many million times can we say this? But because of COVID, I know uh, your touring schedule has changed from what it would have been. But will you talk about some of the other projects uh, that you're involved with as we kind of bring this to a close? Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, hopefully when we can tour again, I'll be out with the Trey Anastasio band. We had a couple tours that I don't even think they maybe 
Oh, yeah. One of them got announced and was canceled and one that didn't even get announced. But, but, but by the time COVID hit. Um, so that's something that I've been involved with. And then I was doing a lot of um, Broadway work. I was the trombone chair for the Share show, which closed at the end of 2019. And then I was uh, subbing at Town, the musical, which was really fun. Uh, the, the band's on stage and it's an amazing uh, book of music. So that, you know, hopefully return to that at some point in 2021. And, um, you know, a couple different big band projects that I was involved in came out this year with Remy LaBeouf and Jacob Garchik um, in Brooklyn, New York. So, you know, hopefully we'll have CD release shows and, and you know, other performances like that to look forward to when this is all over. Uh, and hopefully me and Ian can reschedule. We were going to go to Japan in March and then uh, Brazil in the summer. Uh, we're going to do a whole East Coast tour and a Midwest tour and then also go to Europe again. So we're, we've got a lot of stuff to make up when we when we get back to it. <laughs> Well, we uh, I'm sure all of us uh, in the music listening community look forward to that very much. My guest is Natalie Cressman. Uh, she and Ian Fagini released an album called Setting Rays of Summer, and they've got a new one on the way, as we've just heard, and a single that's already available you can check out called Already There. Uh, Natalie, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. I thank you for taking the time to do it and uh, wish you all the best and hope you and the rest of us are able to get back out into the world soon. I hope so, too. It was great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks to this week's guest, Natalie Cressman, there are two more interviews with Natalie in the archives at thejazzsession.com. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Next week, vocalist Allegra Levy is on the show for the first time. So come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.